You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. So I want to welcome everyone. This is Liz Cook at Core Awareness, and today's podcast, I have Rochelle Singh. And I'm so excited to have Rochelle here because not only has she studied with me and is a very SOAS savvy practitioner, but her experience with hypermobility, I think, can bring some enlightenment and some support for having a healthy SOAS within a dynamic that is often challenging to the SOAS. So welcome, Rochelle. Thank you very much, Liz. I'm very happy to be here. So you're a movement educator in Southern Quebec, and I wanted to give our audience um, a little background on all the amazing things you've done in your life, but specifically how it relates to where you are now in your movement uh, education and as an educator, as a teacher. So tell us a little bit about your background. All right. I will wrap it up in a quick nutshell, but uh, I began dancing when I was about four years old uh, with teachers. Uh, of course, uh, I was born hypermobile. So for me, movement was where I felt the most safe. So even as a very young child, you could always find me moving, dancing, uh, just kind of, you know, always trying to express a lot of things. And so I started dancing. And by the time I was, I guess, about 15, I had already dislocated my elbow four times and my ankle twice and had a doctor tell me that I had hypermobility and that my joints were too loose. Um, I don't really remember very much else about that um, diagnosis, but I remember the doctor telling me, as soon as you're not a teenager anymore, you need to hit the gym and you need to always spend the rest of your life making sure that you have a very healthy muscle mass. So uh, I took that advice, and as soon as I was 18, I became a personal trainer at the local YMCA and just became a a gym rat. And uh, I just, because I really didn't want to injure myself, it was kind of a traumatic 
traumatic events for me to dislocate my my joints like that. So, so uh, I started becoming really intensely interested in anatomy and how the body worked and, and noticing how my body was quickly changing uh, with the work I was doing in the gym. Uh, I also continued to dance, uh, which led me to get a degree in musical theater. Uh, I thought I was going to be uh, one of the rockets but apparently it's not that easy to get a green card <laughs> as a Canadian. But anyway, um, so I finished my musical theater degree and was also at the same time competing in Olympic lifting. And my Olympic lifting coach at the time said, you know, you should really just be in Cirque du Soleil. You're so flexible and you're so strong. You don't belong, you know, and, and you know, the auditions for, for musical theater, I, I certainly didn't fit in. My body type uh, was quite um, muscular. And so I, I auditioned for Cirque du Soleil and uh, I did not get in. I got into instead uh, one of the top circus schools uh, in the world in Montreal. And so I moved to Montreal and did that for a while. And uh, was performing a little bit here and there and started having uh, tremendous amounts of discomfort and pain and just a lot of emotional uh, difficulties trying to fit in and figure out what was happening in my life or what direction did I want to take. Uh, by this time, I was in my mid to late 20s and uh, I felt quite lost. So I decided to let go of the circus also because I was very... Um, disturbed by the amount of prescription painkillers that were going around um, with all my colleagues and friends uh, who were also, you know, young, mid-20s, you know, people who were getting uh, addicted. And it was really not an environment that I felt good in. And uh, so I started to feel like I really needed to exit. So uh, I exited that environment for a more uh, idealistic environment that I thought would, would be great. I moved to the country married a firefighter and decided that I would open a very small yoga studio because I also became a, a yoga teacher throughout my journey in my early 20s and um, said, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just have a quiet life in the, in the country and have my husband make some kids and teach yoga. And that's not really how it all happened. Uh, the yoga studio became very, very popular, so we ended up opening more. Um, and the pain intensified. I thought the yoga, at first the yoga helped the pain and helped me sort of feel like I had a purpose, like I belonged somewhere because I was good at it. I hadn't quite figured out the hypermobile part of yoga yet. I was still um, subscribing to sort of the sensationalism of beautiful yoga poses that were quite exotic and hard to get to. I had at that point been uh, practicing the Ashtanga lineage of yoga for, for quite a few years. Um, so anyway, that was 10 years ago. Fast um, forward, <laughs> I've uh, owned yoga studios in southern Quebec for 10 years now and become a uh, mentor and a educator on autoimmune diseases, um, inflammatory diseases, uh, and movement educator specializing um, with people who have hypermobility problems and fibromyalgia. So uh, I have never officially been diagnosed with any condition except for that time I told you that I, you know, dislocated my joints when I was young. Luckily, I haven't dislocated anything since, but uh, 
the reason I haven't gone after any uh, official diagnoses, even though I've researched a lot and read a lot, is because I don't want my uh, quote-unquote pathologies to become the central theme of my life. Um, I like to help people. I like to teach. Uh, in the circus, I was trained as a clown, so all the um, teaching that I do has a very strong component of happiness, joy, and laughter. And so, you know, when I research all these things that I teach and that I've learned come from really my direct experience and my going down rabbit holes. Um, one of the biggest game changers uh, recently in the last, I guess, six years of my life was discovering the MELT method, uh, Sue Hitzman's MELT method, uh, which is a method that hydrates the tissue, which, uh, you know, has really improved my, my life, the quality of my life. Has, I, I can say today that I live with zero pain uh, symptoms, and I know exactly what to do now and what tools I can reach out for when I do get what they call a flare-up. So um, that's what I do now. I, I spend a lot of my career just helping others uh, learn their own bodies, learn to listen to their bodies, um, try to trust and, and regain that trust of their own intuition and their own bodies. Cause I know how hard it can be sometimes when you kind of lose that connection to the, to your body and you feel alienated in your own body. And it's just a hard place to be. So I, I, I like to, you know, help people, uh, you know, get back to that trusting place with their own body and, and learn how to soften into themselves and feel safe. That's great. Thank you so much for giving that. I learned, I learned some things about you and all of that. Um, or at least I've been reminded of, of some of your, your adventures and your process of getting where you are today. So I want to talk about hypermobility because um, so as this core tissue is always messaging disruption in what's called the skeletal proprioception. And what I understand about proprioception is as a a neurological uh, feedback loop, you could say, but also an ignition. The joint is the uh, place where when centrified sends a signal that connects us to each of the other joints, which makes for a sense of coherency. And that's kind of understood in a lot of areas of of body education. But a piece that is rarely talked about, and I think speaks to what you're you're speaking to um, about anyone feeling somewhat uh, disoriented in themselves, is that every joint is a locator. And this comes out of a man's work called uh, James Gibson years ago in the 1960s wrote a book about perception. And, and what that means, and I find it to be true, is that when my joint is functioning uh, both centrified and ignited, it sends a message that not only tells me about that range of motion of the joint, but it tells me about where I am on the earth. It tells me about location. It tells me about grounded. Do I feel grounded? Do I feel uh, located? What I call landing and located. So do I feel grounded and located in this moment, not just any moment? And 
that gets disrupted when we have hypermobility because hypermobility is a laxity of the ligaments. And ligaments found in Chinese medicine in the uh, liver gallbladder uh, are tissue, is tissue that very different from the psoas that is less flexible than muscle and, and is, is basically a boundary maker. So if I have loose ligaments, I don't have a sense of boundaries. I, that gets disrupted along with the centrifugation of the joints. So the dislocation you speak to is some of that. You know, sometimes people injure that by overstretching a ligament by, you know, twisting their ankle or something. But in your case, when we're looking at hypermobility and its fullness, we're looking at a disruption. So you have found, I find it, you know, this is where talking about um, your strategy for coming into coherency, you spoke about the importance of muscular tone, that that's one way it helps you not only support the joint, that's already a little bit uh, to various degrees for people because some people have different levels of hypermobility, um, then we're, we're looking at helping stabilize the joints. But now you're talking about opening up connective tissue not only as a way of relieving inflammation but, and nerve pain from getting rid of density so in a way, you're talking about two different things. On one hand, you're, you're shaping muscle to support or give you a sense of where you are, but then you're also using um, the hydration techniques of connective tissue to get a more coherent, what we call, what Sue Hitzman calls neuropore. And the neuropore, I'll say before I pass it back to you for people who haven't heard that term, is a term that she adopted as looking at fluid tissue, the very core of your being encompasses a kind of bag of connective tissue that has your central nervous system, your psoas, your adrenals, and your kidneys. So speak about how you kind of, what you discover when you build muscle tissue versus when you do uh, fluid movement or, or hydration work. Um, so as a hypermobile person and I believe through my own direct experience that you know without being diagnosed that I'm a, a general hypermobile that pretty much every single joint I have is hypermobile what I've experienced is that um, because I have a very healthy muscle mass and I do uh, you know have daily rituals to care for my tissue um, what happens is that where I get tight and dry are the really deeper layers of muscles, including the psoas. And, and sorry if I, if I name this wrong, I, I mostly speak and teach in French, so I may use uh, the wrong words. But, you know, the spinal and rectum muscles, all the deep muscles, uh, core muscles tend to get really tight and dry. And you can't really sense them or feel them unless you really know uh, and have taken the time to understand what that feels like. So for me, it's been really important to learn techniques to get those deep core muscles to relax and release. As much as I also work them and stimulate them with uh, weight-bearing activities, um, I also really need to spend the equal amounts of time letting them relax. And I've also found that 
you know, I spent a lot of time in gyms with uh, weights, but in the last few years, I've discovered the Pilates Reformer, and it seems that my joints really enjoy the type of resistance that a Pilates Reformer offers in terms of the spring, you know, the resistance that increases with range of motion and the decreases a little bit. That has been also very, very beneficial for me and the overall health and of my joints and my body. So, so those, those are things that I really pay attention to is just really uh, making sure that I spend as much time working out those deep core muscles as I do relaxing them and giving some of that loving, gentle, soft attention, doing really slow. Uh, you know, I spend a lot, of, a lot of time in the bathtub just kind of undulating around and, and letting my body feel like it's just kind of floating and, and, and letting the muscles just kind of really not have any type of um, gravity you know, just kind of floating. So that, those are all things that I really love uh, helping my tissues with and, and work well. That's great. I, what I'm hearing from my perspective as not a hypermobile person is some things that I think are important to point out. It's one is that, that, those, those, that deep tissue layer um, is, um, is affected by everything you do, but at the same time, so for example, psoas, in my world, Psoas is not engaged. Um, it, it is a being tissue. And that's not how anatomy, traditional anatomy looks at biomechanical. But embryologically, it makes sense. So when we study embryology, we see, you know, psoas is a messenger of the central nervous system, but of the midline or the axis of our own core. So when we're locating, in a way, you know, being able to locate in the core of your being creates relaxation. And the, the idea of, of, of along with, you know, the toning or the activating of tissue, the going into something like the water and going into those little wave motions and those micro movements is returning bone to being nourished, which is going into what we call kidney energy or or the water element, and as well as nourishing uh, new impulses of like fluidity to hydrating psoas. So I love that relationship between the exterior and the interior. And one of the things I want to bring up in this, and this will see where you take this from your experience, is the idea that what you're also doing is nourishing your kidney adrenals, the slowing down. Because one of the far sides of hypermobility, I understand, is uh, adrenal exhaustion. And so the person in the yoga, you know, yeah, that hypermobile person who can go into those twists and go into those asanas in the most challenging way and seem like they're so flexible and people clap and, you know, celebrate is actually stressing their their kidney adrenals and in doing so it can collapse and then that's a long journey back and there's a lot of pain involved so um, so I love the fact that you're using water to also hydrate that water element which is kidney adrenals is to get the psoas to to be um, supple enough the spine to be responsive enough that that those literal organs are floating, which is they're the closest to the psoas. They're literally floating on the psoas. So if we're 
we're really tensing that psoas. You can imagine what it does to the adrenal and kidney energy. So what, what have you found about that, the nervous system in response to hypermobility? So um, interestingly enough, you, you spoke of, of how hypermobile people have difficulty with boundaries and, and across the spectrum, not only like physiological boundaries, but also energetic boundaries. Uh, I've met so many beautiful hypermobile people. Uh, they're very interesting creatures. And um, they often have this similar trait of having the feeling like they're everywhere all the time. <laughs> are uh, able to achieve many, many things, uh, have their many irons and many fires. And these are all things that definitely point to adrenal exhaustion. And, you know, we do these things sometimes unconsciously, and we certainly um, do some very beautiful things that help a lot of people, but we get exhausted, and then we don't understand why we can't function well, and then we're in chronic pain and blah, 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 and then here comes the flare-up, and then we learn. <laughs> so... The boundary setting, I've decided to change the language of boundary setting and just, uh, and this is, you know, a lot of my influence has come from also uh, Clarissa Piccola Estes, which thank you, Liz, for sending me to her workshops or suggesting I go. But I have, um, instead of thinking about boundaries, I think about rituals. And I have really worked very hard at creating a set of rituals that help me um, locate every day. And make sure that I wake up and I know where I'm going, what I'm doing, and what the structure of my day is going to be like. So, and that is, you know, also reflective of what, how my body is going to receive the day, how I'm going to help my body move through the day and say, now at this hour, you're going to eat. At this hour, you're going to go walk your dog. At this hour, you're going to be in a workshop. At this hour, you're going to make these phone calls. And just the fact of having those rituals and working on those rituals and making sure that I honor those rituals has tremendously helped my nervous system consistently feel safe. And, and, and you know, we're talking about the psoas. It's not meant to be a muscle that's contracted, but we know that when there's not safety, the, the, the psoas will get contracted to kind of shore you in and hold you up and try to make sure that you're safe. So mm -hmm. these rituals are kind of, kind of like that, that, that shoring up of like, okay, but they're, they're created by me. They're chosen by me. And they were chosen with time and very powerful discernment where, you know, and, and the discernment comes from, you know, pain and mistakes <laughs> and how do you always get back on your journey and say okay well that was probably not the right way to manage my time my energy uh that was probably not the right relationship what did i learn how do i make this better that's great that's that's a really i i've never heard boundaries talked about as rituals but that's just I've, I've it's, found that it's a container, way, isn't it? It's a form of container. Absolutely. Exactly, exactly. And I've found that words and the way that I speak to myself internally has also been a very important part of uh, the journey of healing, my journey of healing. Because, you know, 
when you live like with chronic pain or you think it's chronic or you, you, you think that something's wrong and, and your nervous system can't locate and you don't really know where you are in space, you don't really know where you belong in this world, all those feelings of like acute anxiety constantly um, can really can really hurt you. And the words, you can perpetuate that anxiety just with thoughts and words. So the, the thinking and the reframing of even my thought patterns has been a huge part of the healing journey. You know, I don't use the word dysfunction or disorder. You know, I use the word pathology. <laughs> Interesting. I think that's really brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, because I and know that's my seems to bring it here. <laughs> right, you're, they're listening, right? Well, I, uh-huh. I it brings in, it brings in, it brings in rhythm, which is part of the parasympathetic. How do we nourish ourselves? So how do we flourish? So when people uh, often feel traumatized in some way, they're so uh, they're, they look to the psoas that if I could just release it then I'd be okay. And I'd say, no, you're not. If you took all your trauma away, who would you be? What would you be? Like, you're, it's not like you're going to be this healthy human being. You're actually not nourished enough to thrive. So rhythm. And so what I'm hearing you say is not only this, this container, but the rhythm of the day, mm-hmm. which, which brings you into that flow of not a consistent flow, but an ebb and a flow. Yes, and I certainly learned to uh, stop biting off more than I can chew because I think that's also a consistent pattern in hypermobile people because uh, the way our connective tissue is also shaped around their brain. I mean, uh, when I receive an idea... Uh, and I have a really active imagination, when I receive an idea or an inspiration, I can only see endless possibility, whereas most people might start to immediately see where are going to be the challenges, where are going to be, you know, the hurdles to cross. I can only see, okay, this is going to happen, and this can happen, and this can happen, and then this can happen, and then it just kind of amplifies everything. So even in my thought process, I've had to sort of bring myself in and say, you know what, Rochelle, focus on this one or two things. Don't focus on 20. <laughs> I love that you talk about connective tissue, you know, shaping the brain, because Emily Conrad of Continuum Movement, Fluid Movement, would say if we want a new, you know, thought form, we have to move, right? And, and, mm-hmm. um, and with hypermobility, it's not necessarily the movement but it is the hydration of connective tissue. So talk to us a little more about what you discovered in doing uh, Sue's work called Melt Method, which is a self-care process for hydrating connective tissue. I did a workshop, uh, I did a class that people can find on my website uh, called um, Coherency, because I wanted Sue to come and talk about the neurocore, which includes the psoas, and our coherency as an organism, our capacity to thrive, but to maintain its integrity. And, you know, most people would think, well, what does this fluid movement have to do with my integrity? Don't I need more structure, more density? 
but that's not the way connective tissue work is it's a communicator it's a networking and so tell me how that has brought you more coherency and maybe less pain as well or no pain Oh, uh, much less pain. Uh, I can tell you that the first time I ever did the foot treatment of the melt method with the uh, soft blue ball, um, you know, she Sue has you do what she calls a body scan. So you close your eyes and you stand there and you, she asks you questions. She leads you through a series of questions saying, you know, do you feel more weight in your right foot, left foot? Do you feel more weight in your, you know, ball of your foot or your heel or are your knees locked? All these things she asks. And, and, and the first time she had me close my eyes and, and feel those things and actually feel um, and then do the foot treatment and notice the difference, the before and after difference was so huge to me. I just could not believe. And then I became completely fascinated by the whole idea that by stimulating the, the, the water in my feet and the, and the nerves and how the connective tissue is actually a system of pipes with water in it and and if I move these waters around and some of the pipes are a little bit clogged or a little bit compressed and I can start moving the water through it and everything's going to communicate better and I'm going to have this amazing intracellular communication. I mean, I can tell you I am a walking poster child of this improved intracellular communication because um, I do that foot treatment every morning as I brush my teeth now. And uh, it's, it's really quite a powerful small treatment that only takes like two minutes. And it's really changed uh, how I feel. And the, the hydrating part is that, I mean, I really, I really love this idea of microcosm, macrocosm. When you think about the rivers of the world, the ocean on the planet, the, and the oceans and everything, and how all that water is connected. And, and you know, we, there's many articles now saying water has cellular memory. So this idea that the water in me is also the same water that's in the ocean and how I can contribute to cleaning that water by eating right, by moving better, by not being a sedentary person who sits at a desk all day, by having these types of rituals that make sure that I get up and move. I mean, it was my birthday uh, a few months ago and my best friend who knows me so well carved out of wood, movement is life. <laughs> So really mm -hmm. this idea of hydrating and moving that water, that water that, you know, absorbs and reflects everything. It's, it's just, um, honestly, it's, it's quite a spiritual and uh, touching thing for me to connect to the water in my body and to just be grateful that I've been on this journey to figure out how I can, you know, honor and be reverent to this water and not just let it dry up and get mucky and dirty, this interstitial fluid that's just such a, a messenger, you know. So, um, yeah, it started, it all started with that little foot treatment. Who would have known? <laughs> well, and that's one of the beauties of her work. It's very simple, but she, she draws on the idea that if you're in pain, you can begin at your feet and your hands. And I think mm -hmm. most people go wherever the pain is, they're tracking it, <clears throat> excuse me, they're following it, they're pinpointing it, and all of a sudden this opens the whole system up and you're going further away from where you might be feeling the ache or the pain or the inflammation into opening and supporting the whole system. I wonder, mm -hmm. um, 
at this junction might that we might go to some of the things because you're talking about that kind of mudding of water and I and I want to say for people who are still not haven't experienced connective tissue work is what you're really doing is very micro movements so when we're working it may feel like a flush or the oceanic wave but it's actually within our own tissue and so the tendency is for the movement to be small which means you're not yanking on ligaments you're not pulling on joints you're not pulling the body apart uh, through the skeletal system you're actually nourishing and supporting and like a dry sponge you know doesn't immediately respond to water that you pour on it the movement is this kind of a particular kind of movement that enhances the way movement uh, movements in nature the nature of movement of water which is waves and undulations and little riverlets of expression so we're working in a very small way um, for people who you know are wondering what that what that's like tell us more about um, some of the things that you have found that are beyond SOAS um, and beyond my particular expertise into the nourishment you have found you mentioned to me that you've explored diet as a way of supporting your um, hypermobility and and coherency in the joints and ligaments and bones tissue yes I will absolutely talk about that it's been also a huge piece of my healing but I just want to go back to one thing quickly as those uh, as you speak of micro movements and subtle movements um, and just as a hypermobile um, it was so so powerful for me uh you know i said I, I told you i was in circus i did all these very grandiose movements i used a lot of muscles i did you know olympic lifting throwing hundreds of pounds over my head in one foul swoop you know all these things and going into the other direction into tiny tiny slow movements that required very little muscular activation um, opened me up to the spectrum of sensations that my body can offer me, which is absolutely infinite. And when I tune in to the sensations that my body is offering me and really just be with them and, and hold space for those sensations to express themselves without me uh, wanting to, you know, superimpose my my uh, judgment on it and say, well, that must be this or this must be that <laughs> and just kind of be with it. Um, it has really helped me learn the difference between and learn and feel the difference between what is a muscular stretch, what is um, putting my connective tissue under tension to create kind of a vacuum feeling that I can feel the fluid actually flowing through my connective tissue better. Like there are a variety of types of movements that have um, really helped me differentiate what I'm doing and what it's giving me as a result. So that has been huge for me, especially somebody who did yoga for so long. I could not, I mean, I, I think back, like, oh, my God, I was doing my stand-up for so long, and I could not even feel the difference between what was a, what was I stretching and just, you know, overstretching my ligaments, was I stretching my muscles. I did, had no idea. I had no idea. So, so those 
subtle, small movements really opened up a whole new universe of sensation for me that has really helped me understand where and when I can go somewhere in a movement and where and when I probably should pull back and not go there. Wow, that um, is going so, on, I mean, I'm so, wait, 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 before you go to the diet, I want to comment on this because you just hit something to me that's gold. Because one of the things I hear from hypermobile people, when I maintain the integrity of their skeletal core and they're in any position, they're not overextending because that's part of hypermobility is that you can overextend, is uh, people have literally said to me, yoga teachers have said to me, I'd rather be dead. There's nothing happening here. And I, and oh I have understood that if you don't get that big sensation, the fiery, you know, headlights, you know, the big sensation, then the subtlety that you're referring to, they can't locate in, and therefore it feels dead to them. It feels like nothingness. And, and so they keep going towards that far end of, overextension because at least they can feel something and that is actually what collapses the uh the nervous system which is we call absolutely um, absolutely yeah so so what what Rachelle what what did you how did you how did you put up with that like how did you maneuver that place of where you know these big sensations but you can't differentiate whether you're yanking on your ligaments or you're pulling on muscle or organs or what you're doing to the subtlety where you can feel all of this speak to the transition that I'm really curious how did you give yourself the patience or the curiosity well I be in something that is nuanced at first yeah I, I remember the exact moment it happened uh, I was, I was actually, I studied Ashtanga and became an Ashtanga teacher with a, a beautiful man named Richard Freeman in Boulder, Colorado. And I remember he jokingly, just jokingly, and he has a very interesting sense of humor. He jokingly said, well, Ashtanga practitioners are just a bunch of sensation junkies. And mm-hmm. because I had already... Uh, experienced addiction in my own life, which I believe is also linked to hypermobility and trauma and things like that in the nervous system, and had seen it at the circus, the word junkie uh, really startled me. And I really thought about that. And I said, oh, shit, am I a sensation junkie? (laughs) Well, what are these sensations that I'm addicted to? You know, why am I doing this all the time every day at 6 a.m.? Why do I have, you know, what is this? And that's what started me on the path of inquiry of like, well, what the hell am I doing here? (laughs) You know, what am I subscribing Mm -hmm. to (laughs) and why? You know, dig deeper. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing this? Why is this important to you? What are you really looking for, Rochelle? What are you really looking for? Are you just repeating unconscious patterns or are you doing something good? So that's what started the inquiry. And that's where I knew that it was important for me to go somehow to the other spectrum. And that's when I started, you know, looking into Vinny yoga and therapeutic yoga. And I would force myself, you know, way on the floor and roll, roll around really slowly. (laughs) And, uh, and make noises, and uh, as strange and as hard as it was for me to slow it down and do things like that, I also 
immediately could feel the um, the benefit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not afraid of a challenge. So, no, so you're, no. You're an adventurer in the sense of, okay, you're going into territory you know nothing about, but some part of you is willing to hang out there in the nothingness <laughs> or the or the whatever it is for people who describe to me this sense of kind of uh, deadness in themselves. Um, well, and, they, and in they, that deadness, when they go small. But there's everything there. I mean, it's a paradox, you know. You know, there's everything in that deadness that they're perceiving. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Except the big sensation. Well, I mean, there's there's something there. They have to dig and, and find out. Well, why why do why are they why are they perceiving it as nothingness? I mean, our bodies are are fantastical miracles that are coursing with all kinds of energy all the time. And to refer to your own body or movement as feeling deadness, I mean, there's a lot there to look at on all kinds of levels. Mm-hmm. You know, this life is a gift. Yeah. This body is a gift. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mm. yeah, that's very powerful. I think I feel like that is that's a that's that's so that's it. That's the key to me is that moment that you were able to like be curious um, of of what would be a subtle movement or a differentiation or an articulation um, that really actually creates more of a sense of wholeness um, mm-hmm. because they, the, all the spectrum is there, right? There's there's range. And, and there's capacity in that, and there's resiliency that's actually an energetic resiliency, not overextension. Exactly, an energetic resiliency. Mhm. Mhm. Mm. Very nice. Thanks for bringing that in. That's really important. So yeah, let's go into what you discovered about your diet, the diet component. So, so yeah, this is one of the um, one of the top components that I uh, definitely teach uh, to all the people that I work with that have you know autoimmune because you know being hypermobile also opens you up to uh, you, you, your system is a little bit more vulnerable and, and you do uh, you're more susceptible to autoimmune stuff and and you know like I said I. I don't want illness or disorder, quote-unquote, all these negative words to be the central theme of my life. So I've never really been diagnosed uh, by an allopathic doctor, but I certainly have had symptoms that seem like uh, fibromyalgia and rheumatoid arthritis. And these are things that have lasted in my body for months at a time, namely when I uh, had a divorce five years ago, uh, all those symptoms of fibromyalgia kind of popped up for a few months there, and, and that uh, definitely propelled me on a uh, more intense journey looking at how do I heal this, whatever's going on in me, and, and deeper listening to what was going on. And that's when I decided to try, um, you know, autoimmune, anti-inflammatory diets. You know, I always felt that food is, uh, is healing, 
And I started the ketogenic diet. And I know this is not new for a lot of people who have autoimmune and inflammatory, but for me, honestly, I have gone on and off the ketogenic diet uh, for about five years now. And I can certainly say that for me as a type O blood, um, and, you know, when I was a Shango person, I was certainly a vegan for, for about eight years. But um, becoming a, uh, somebody who practices a ketogenic diet has been hugely, hugely beneficial for me. And I also um, have been doing in water fasting. So 72 hours water fasting uh, every two or three months has also really helped me. And I've done quite a bit of research on the water fasting and how water fasting actually can reorganize uh, the cellular matrix and help, you know, uh, create more collagen and, and just kind of reboot your whole system. And that's certainly what I've experienced. I've even done 21-day water fast once. Uh, I don't think I need to do it again, but I can report in my own personal experience that that really helped my body and really helped uh, my joints and everything. I just uh, felt fantastic and still do. So so those are things that um, I've looked into and researched and have very positive experiences with. Uh, it's not for everybody. I think uh, fasting, there's a lot of people that have different things, and I think you should definitely spend a very – um, concerted effort to really find out and read and research before you embark on something like this. But for me, I had very positive results and I continue to use water fasting 72 hours uh, every once in a while to make sure that I'm still giving my body a chance to rest. Um, it's part of, you know, what, what we were talking about the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, when, when you say people who don't have that huge range of emotion, they feel dead. Well, a lot of people want to say, well, I don't eat for three days. They're like, oh, my God, I'll die. And I'm like, actually, it's the opposite. You'll feel way more alive. <laughs> but anyway, it's a whole interesting journey of discovery and exploration. And uh, I hope whoever is embarked on the journey of healing finds exactly what they need. Mm. There's um, uh, Michael McAvoy posted in metabolichealing.com an article is the first one I saw on hypermobility and the origins of hypermobility. And he didn't write it, he posted it. And in the research, what they were looking at, because in my years of teaching, which is, I, I'm kind of getting to the point of going into centuries, I've been teaching almost for a half a century. Um, I have seen a huge difference in people's hypermobility. So, you know, and I taught within, because I, I published in um, Yoga Journal in 1999, you know, I, I was invited. People thought I was a yogi. I'm not. But they invited me into all these large uh, yoga studios and advanced teaching uh, to bring SOAS work to this conversation of, of yoga. And, and in doing so, I met and saw a lot of hypermobility, you know, uh, but it was actually not very much to what I see today. What I see today is in a live workshop, maybe half the people in my workshop have hypermobility. So I became curious of like, what is going on? You know, why is it increasing? It's not, we're not talking about whether you've been um, 
uh, analyzed as hypermobility. You can just see it. You can see a person who ha uh, has some level of disruption in what we call the skeletal proprioception system. So in, in, his ar in the article that was posted, the, there's a recognition that there's a disruption in the cellular matrix in the development of the, uh, of the fetus in the time period where collagen is being developed and laid down. So the fact that you bring that piece in, I, you know, not as an, I'm not a nutritionist, but I, I picked up on that, is that idea of what disrupts the development of the ligament. So we know that environmental toxins, not so much what your mother did or didn't do, but environmental toxins have disrupted this particular phase of development. So it is interesting to hear you say that you get benefits from, you know, uh, fasting, which, you know, I know it can be controversial for people, especially now. We used to do water fasting years ago, and people say don't do it because it's too hard on the liver. Um, so there is, you know, there's various, but the fact that you have, you found benefit from these 72-hour phases that were it actually created you know, so tell us a little more about what was the, I'm curious, what the, how you define the benefits. Like, what are you referring to in regard to hypermobility? Do you see a direct link, or is it more about the inflammatory responses? Um, I'll speak about both things. I'm sorry if my sound has changed a bit. I hope it's, it's okay. My headphones seem to have lost their charge. Um, can you hear me quite well? Yeah, we're, we're okay. Okay. Um, so as far as the anti-inflammatory, definitely, definitely in three days of fasting, um, I know that my inflammatory response is hypersensitive. So if I have, you know, a tomato or something, um, I, I will often get puffy. And, you know, people don't notice it, my my friends don't notice it, but I'll notice it. I can see it, especially in my face. And my skin also gets a bit transparent-like. Very strange. <laughs> but um, with the fasting and staying away from those inflammatory foods, I do not get those uh, responses at all. And it really, um, it feels quite amazing. Somebody who has, you know, hypermobility or even Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, uh, one of the symptoms is you know loose skin <laughs> um and i noticed with the fasting that that has almost completely gone away and i've had that most of my life is that loose skin where you you know pull the skin off your arm and you can pull you know two inches right off the bone and and, and most people don't have that but with the extended fasting that i did that completely went away um, and you know, as an athlete, when I was a, when I was an athlete, one of the one of the complaints I would get from the coaches is that I wouldn't look vascular enough. Uh, you could not see my veins, like you could see my veins pop out. Well, because I I have that kind of looser skin that I'll never it'll never stick to my bones. I will never have that six pack. It's just not my skin is not made that way. I don't have the collagen matrix that's needed to like have that type of skin. But I noticed with the fasting that it's actually changed. It actually changed the consistency of my skin, which is huge to mm. me. So that was, that was really interesting to me. Um, and as far as the liver goes for the fasting, I mean, when I did the 21 day fast, 
um, I, there's definitely a protocol, and I definitely took tons of minerals, and, um, you know, there were certain um, herbal teas that I took. It wasn't just like, okay, now I'm just going to drink water for 21 days. I, I prepared for it for weeks in advance, and it's just certainly uh, a type of intervention that, that I was ready to do for myself, uh, and I am an explorer. You know, my body has been an amazing laboratory of discovery, and also I trusted my body. I trusted um, that this was something I needed to experience and uh, and it turned out to be the right thing for me. So, um, mm-hmm. in terms of the hypermobility, like of the joints, um, during my 21 day water fast, I did yoga. And now I still do yoga. I I love yoga. And now my yoga is a lot about going slow and taking the time to feel how I can create energetic container for my joints. So if I'm mm-hmm. going into yeah. a pose, I never go I never go deep into a pose. I never, you know, I try to look like the normal person in every pose. I don't do like I mean every once in a while I'll bust out something crazy cuz, you know, just for my own fun, I guess. <laughs> but um but I don't do it very often. And cuz I I want to live a long life and I want to be healthy and I want to, you know, stay active for for a long time and I know that if I did those those crazy poses that probably I'll be suffering by the time I'm 60 and and I and I just want to take care of myself. So so when I'm doing yoga now, I really just slow down and try to understand what it feels like to this is such a funny way to describe it but hug into myself. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, like hug the joints into themselves so that I'm not just right. opening them, you know, that they're right. opening, but they're also hugging into themselves. Mm-hmm. So, again, that speaks to that de- developing that quality of listening to sensation. Yes. And having the right idea, because when we're when we're looking at healthy psoas, what we're looking at is core integrity, which means head to tail or tongue to tail or head to uh, sacrum. And when there's a distortion in the pelvis, your psoas can't help but get involved because you've lost core integrity. And its intention is to maintain your central nervous system. So, so... Um, this idea of going slower, starting from the pelvis out to the arms and, and feet, rather than for many people who are hypermobile, they can just put themselves and then they kind of try to get their pelvis in alignment. But if you work as a core-based organism, as a spine-based organism, all movement comes from the very core of your being out to your fingers and toes. And so just that that idea of moving out and then also kind of the hugging to me is a kind of level of skeletal resistance of where you're maintaining the skeletal integrity and that Mm. defines your range of motion rather than you can go the range of motion and then you kind of in fact that's one of the first things I ever saw that really baffled me was watching a man in New York go into a pose in which he did things to his pelvis and spine that was actually, you know, spine tingling to me in a negative way. Like it was like, oh my God, what are you doing? 
you know, how do you even do that? You know, how do you distort? There's a distortion in the core when you're very hypermobile. So he was like, oh, you want me to do this? Here, I'll do that. And, you know, and I was like, no, 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 you know, stop. So for SOAS, you're looking integrity to always be starting from the center of your being, you know, and, and then finding your place in the world and then relating to the world or what we call ground reaction force back in or, or resistance back into the core. So that's a beautiful um, recommendation. Thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the um, traits or, or common things that um, hypermobiles share is that we have a very uh, developed sense of interoception. So, you know, we can feel a lot of things, but where we do get confused is, well, what are we feeling and what's it doing to us? So, for example, I have had to learn because of SI joint stuff, I have had to learn, well, what does it feel like when a joint is shearing? What does it feel mm-hmm. like when a joint is strengthening or being fluid? I, I've had to, like, slow down and really sense, okay, well, what, is, what does this mean? What does it feel? So that's been a huge help to me, too, just understanding that, okay, yes, you can feel all these things, but now you've got to, like, give yourself the time and space to um, kind of create a container for that feeling and, and know where to put it so that you can move in a functional way that's not hurting you. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. giving words to what your experience is to me is, is a real um, support to my teaching also because um, as somebody who isn't hypermobile, it feels sometimes like I'm up against that resistance because on some level, a person understands. I mean, they're there because they maybe have psoas issues. So they want a healthy psoas, but then it feels so um, uh, maybe, maybe uh, too restrictive or too simple, you know, whereas, they, like you said, when you go very simple, the world opens up and there's all this nuance. Right? There isn't mm-hmm. anybody screaming. You're hearing very, very subtle messages. And there's mm-hmm. a richness. There's a, there's a deliciousness in those little tiny messages. Yeah. And that articulation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of, of ta- tasting something where you can nuance, you know, where was it grown? What was the soil like? What was, you know... Was it, you know, harvested? At, you know, like you start to really have a, have a culture of um, an artistic, in many ways, culture of yourself, of your nuance. Of, there's a richness there when you're able to do that. Absolutely. And it makes you that much more fascinated and in love with also all the people around you. Because when you realize you are that nuanced, and imagine everybody else around you. It uh, it really definitely tenderizes you. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. So before we stop for this incredible conversation, um, is there anything else you'd like to to bring uh, to the conversation of hypermobility? Um, I guess for me. 
one thing that I have not talked about in this conversation that's been so, so important for me and that I only really realized it about, you know, eight years ago when my marriage was starting to fall apart is that I really need time alone in order to locate Mm -hmm. and feel myself because I feel so much. uh, We have larger amygdala, you know, hypermobile people have been shown to have larger amygdala and whether you want to call that intuition or empathy or whatever you want to call it, we feel a lot And sometimes it's very hard for people, hypermobiles, to understand the difference between somebody else and themselves. And if you live with a bunch of people, it's very uh, common to take on their energetic uh, landscape without even realizing it. And that can also be an adrenal fatigue thing, (laughs) believe me. So one of the most important parts of my ritual is to have, you know, make sure that every day I have time alone. Mm. Mm. Wow. Thank you for that. Because I need to feel my own energy. I need to feel me so that Mm -hmm. I know who I am, where I am, what my feelings are, what my thoughts are, what's my energy field before I go into everybody else's energy field or before they enter mine, you know? So that's been really, really important practice for me. To right, because of that, di- that dispersion of energy, it gets diluted, exactly. huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, it's, and, it's and then you don't know where itself. you're going. You get confused. You get confused. You're like, do mm-hmm. I go there? Do I do this? Should I see this person? Should I call there? And then it's just mm-hmm. a, you know, confusion, incoherence. Right, which is which which creates anxiety, which creates that whole going back to the adrenal, uh, the adrenal health of our immune system, and and the the uh, coherency of the neural core, the capacity for the system to to uh, reference or have um, uh, agency and autonomy. So even though we're mm-hmm. part of that, you know, larger river, the larger ocean, we also have our, our unique way of being here and, and our, our way of really what I call thriving, being able to fully blossom in your life, not just survive, and, but to literally thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Um, I think this is going to be really uh, rich and appreciated by many, many people. So thank you, Michelle. Thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to talk with. Great. Okay.